Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason. Every week, try to bring you important, not try, you know, let's face it, try is ridiculous. Try means I don't want to say no. Try means I want credit for pretending I made effort. We don't try, we deliver, by God. Every week here on the Business of Agriculture, we deliver information, insights, with a dose of entertainment that you can use and apply to your business. If you are in the industry of food, fuel, fiber, farming, this is the podcast for you. Got a great show for you today, as ever. Here we're going to be talking about agriculture's most valuable asset. The number one most precious thing that humanity has, in my opinion, is clean water and soil to grow our food in. We're going to talk about soil today. It's all about soil because earlier this month was World Soil Day. The United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations recognizes World Soil Day. You know, I've got some gripes with the FAO. They talk about 10,000 people have been relocated or had to become refugees because of soil degradation. Those are things that are happening in third world countries. They've got a lot of other problems, some of these places. But from a World Soil Day standpoint, I decided we should try and visit the topic right here because what asset do we have that's more valuable than soil of course we have almost nothing that's more valuable than soil so that's what we're talking about today we're going to talk about the future of ag's management of soil we're going to talk about all sorts of things that you can apply to your business what are we doing right what are we doing wrong do we treat our soil like dirt that's what we're covering here today my guest on the business of agriculture is very accomplished you know, I always get smarter people on here. I mean, that's the one thing I learned uh, from George W. Bush. He's kind of a dunderhead, but he made sure he had smart people around him. Hey, I'm going to do the same thing. I've got Jody DeYoung Hughes. Met her sort of online because I read an article that she had penned for Successful Farming Magazine about soil. She's an agronomist from Colorado State University with a master's degree from Iowa State University. She makes her a living with the University of Minnesota Extension as a regional educator in crops and soils. Jody DeYoung, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you being here. All right, I gave a little bit of your background. Tell me anything I'm missing. How does a girl like you decide to be a dirt scientist? Ooh, well, you said dirt. And, uh, you know, you should say soil because dirt is misplaced soil, which was pounded into my head in all those classes. Wait, say that again for anybody that's a casual <laughs> listener that says, wait a minute, I'm listening to this, this agriculture podcast and, and I'm sort of involved. Damien, you bring on guests that make me smarter. First thing, I said it on purpose, of course, so that you could correct me. Give me it again. Difference between dirt right. and soil. Dirt is misplaced soil. So if you have it under your fingernails or in your hair, that's dirt. But if it's out in the field, that's soil. All right. Why did you become a soil scientist? Oh, well, um, because it was the fastest way I could get out of school. Um, <laughs> I had taken a long time to figure out what I liked. And uh, finally, uh, soils and water and plants uh, really seemed to, to resonate with me. Were you and raised on a farm? What? Were you raised on a farm? Uh, I hate to say, but no, I wasn't. Um, you need to hate to say it. We think it's good that people from non-agricultural backgrounds join our industry. I should point out to our listeners, we're not talking about some spring chicken here. She has 20 years of experience just with the University of Minnesota Extension as the regional educator and crops and soils. 
So she's an accomplished woman. She didn't just get out of school yesterday. She was uh, at University of, uh, sorry, Minnesota, uh, no, Iowa State for her master's back in the mid-90s, early 90s? Yes, I think I graduated in 96. I deal. All right. Been a while. So answer me this. You conduct seminars. I saw on your, uh, on your credentials that you do uh, educational summits and you do uh, tillage conferences, no-till conferences. You stay at the bottom of soil pits and talk to people about soil. Are we in agriculture doing right by the soil? Um, predominantly, probably not. Okay. Give me the state of soil. Tell me the state of soil right now as you see it. Well, right now, I think we're on the upslope where we're, we're looking at it through new eyes um, and new interest. Great. And so I think we're really starting to look at soil health and understanding what it can do for us. Um, but I don't think we learned as much as we could have from the dirty 30s. We had that and, it, you know, soil was blowing everywhere. We were losing a lot of topsoil. And um, we did a few things different because of that, like started the Soil Conservation Service. But then it kind of eked away from our memory. The place that most of us weren't alive then, you know, back then anymore. And so we just kind of forget. And so now we're just starting to look at it again. When we started that soil health initiative with the NRCS and it was a national initiative, at first I was kind of like, mm, okay, let's see how this goes. It's been phenomenal. What, tell me the initiative again. It's a soil health initiative and the NRCS started it to train their people on the benefits of soil health. And it was it might not have the oomph that it needed, but wow, they they did it across the U.S. and are training all of their people. And I've I've seen them do it in Minnesota. It's been wonderful. Yeah, <clears throat> I I would say uh, from my perspective, and and I I get around the country a lot. As everybody that's listening to this knows, I travel around North America talking at agricultural meetings, conferences, conventions, trade shows, etc. And I see a lot of different practices. I see practices that I, in fact, uh, don't approve of. I'm a soils person. I should probably tell our listeners, I wanted to be an agronomist, but it was too much science. So I became an agricultural economics major. I was ninth in the nation in FFA soil judging back in uh, 1987. I was really into FFA soil and, and, and land analysis. It's something I've always taken a great interest in. I remember we had a thing called T by 2000. I don't know if you remember that. That was an initiative before the Soil Health Initiative, meaning tolerable. Tolerable amounts of erosion by the year 2000 was the initiative. Did we get there? Not everywhere, no. And it was mainly to reduce tillage. To get away from a moldboard plow or the really deep tillage, aggressive tillage. And we can do well with that, but not total. Okay, what are we doing right? I mean, I don't want our people to be bummed out and thinking that every week they tune here so they can get bitched at. I want our people in agriculture. And you know, if you're listening to this, you are involved in agriculture. It doesn't matter whether you are a landowner or the seed salesperson. It all comes back to soil. It's the most impressive, most important asset we have, the most valuable asset we have. And so it all comes back to it. So whatever you do, you say, oh, I feed chickens. I don't care about soil. I think you care about soil if you feed chickens because it all comes back to soil. What are we doing right? I agree with you there. The first thing that you need to have is an awareness of what's going on and, and admit that it's going on. So the things that our dads and our grandpas did 
while we worked for the time is not necessarily working now. And it's really hard to maybe go against their wisdom. Um, we are learning so much about soil, especially the biology of soils. I mean, we knew about tillage, we know about fertility, but what we didn't know is what was beneath our feet, what was under, and so we were looking at the physical sides. Let's reduce our tillage, let's keep more residue out there, and that's wonderful. That, that, that message still needs to be out there. But now we're seeing that, you know, in one cup of productive soil, there's nine billion microbes. And one, one cup of productive soil has, say it again, nine billion microbes. Okay. A lot of, le a lot of life in a cup of soil. Yes, definitely. And we're just learning what it does. I mean, only 1% of the bacteria in the soil can be grown in a laboratory. So it's really difficult to figure out what they're doing for us. And we're just at the tip of the iceberg. And what's interesting about this and, and fun for me is that it's getting people interested in agriculture again. It's not just go out there and plant and spray and till and harvest and, and do that. It's now thinking about it again. What can I do to improve my soil? What can I put out there that will improve the microbes and improve the structure of my soil? Because they're learning so much more about soil. We all are. Okay, what have we, say, you know, I said, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What are we doing right? What are we doing right by, you know, you said we're getting better at understanding it. Uh, what about practices? Um, yeah, there, there, there are a lot more people understanding the importance of soil. So they're starting to ask the questions, how do I uh, prove my soil? And that would be trying to get cover crops in where you can and reducing your tillage, putting out buffers, um, to trap the soil in case it does leave there. Uh, you know, we're even looking at, the equipment dealers are looking at equipment that can till at different depths. So not only do you do variable rate planting with your population and, and spraying and things like that, but you can do less tillage on the high points of your soil, you know, up on the hills where you already have erosion and more tillage down below. And so it's, it's variable tillage, variable depth tillage, which I think is awesome. Yeah, you know, when it was not that long ago, like right now, my farm fields get sampled on a grid pattern, whereas it used to be just 20, 30 years ago, uh, a dude from the co-op came out, uh, drove around on a three-wheeler, uh, stuck a soil probe in the ground in three different spots, and then called it a day. Now we're doing it on a much more precise uh, grid set, set, and also now that same chip that we have the mapping goes in the fertilizer truck or the the equipment that we're using and then we map it so we know that over here needs this sort of uh, nutrient and over here does not so really that's that whole thing through technology is making it so we're doing better by the soil uh, what are we still doing wrong um, thinking that tillage is going to warm up your soil and dry out your soil more so than say strip tillage which is only tilling a third of the soil okay we're going to move right into that because that, my dear, is how I found you. The article you wrote for Successful Farming Magazine was about the very subject called tillage erosion. And I'm sure a bunch of people said, what the heck is this? <laughs> you mean moldboard plowing in November where it blows away during the, the winter? Is that what tillage erosion is? No. You said that tillage erosion was just a matter of moving the soil by the piece of equipment. So I'm going to tell you this. I think there's too damn much tillage that goes on. 
<laughs> uh, I'm driving around southern Minnesota last week, you're part of the world, and I didn't see, I'd say 5% of the land was not tilled. And this was beginning of mid-November. So anyway, tillage erosion, what is it? Well, tillage erosion is more erosive than wind and water erosion combined. And so it's taking the soil, and if you have pretty aggressive tillage equipment and you're on a hill, it literally moves it downhill. It's really hard to move soil uphill. And it also breaks apart the soil structure so that they're smaller particles, so it can be moved easier by wind and water. And so not only is it physically moving soil, but it's also setting it up so it's easier to move by other methods. Okay, so yes, it, it moves it itself, the tillage equipment moves it, but then it makes it so that the other two factors, being wind and water, can also move it more because we just broke it up. Right. Why does so much tillage still happen? I just gave you my example. I'm out there in southern Minnesota. There's curve on that ground, Jody. There is 4%, 6%, 9%, 12% slopes that are tilled up. It's the beginning, mid-December, and I'm saying rich, beautiful, dark prairie soils, and they're all plowed up. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, Minnesota, we do like our tillage, and I think if you flew over Minnesota, you could tell the state or the shape of the state just based on the tillage. Um, when you go into South Dakota, they have less rainfall, and so they they have seen the benefits of no-till. If you go to Iowa, they have um, a longer growing season and warmer growing season, and so they're able to put in a few things that we we cannot like uh, cover crops have more of a time to grow and cover the soil. And so I asked the guys, well, I've seen it work in Canada. I've seen them be no-till and they said, well, they're Canucks. And I'm like, okay guys, you know, we have to take some responsibility for what we're doing here. I think part of it is tradition. Fathers have always done it and it's very hard to go against your father and grandfather. And the other thing is we, we suffer from that in this business. And by the way, you are listening to the business of agriculture podcast, where we talk about issues that affect you in the business of food, fuel, farming, fiber, etc. Soil, our most valuable asset. And I want to say, you always heard it in corporate America. Well, how, why do we do that? Because that's the way we've always done it. And you hear that, you know, in corporate, you hear that in the service industry, and they always are fighting against that to try and, evolve. But in agriculture, I believe that we suffer from that maybe worse than it. while we're adapting new technologies. You know, if you had a piece of equipment that could tell you the uh, moisture sensor in your grain bin, you, daddy and granddaddy didn't have that, but by God, you'll have it. But when it comes to stuff like tillage, I believe we're still doing stuff because it's what we always used to do. I know. We look at our hybrids and we change those. We look at the way that we work with weeds. We look at, you know, every aspect of farming except for our tillage. And I think, you know, I wouldn't want to be a farmer. It's very difficult to do marketing and fertilizer management, weed management, you know, everything that they have to choose. And I have a degree in one aspect. And so I try to take that into consideration that they can't know everything about everything. They just they can't know everything about everything. And that's where you come in because you have a, an undergrad and a master's degree in soils. And you also have all the field trials and the field experience, 20 plus years out there in the field. My opinion on the future of tillage and yours. All right. I believe that eventually it does go away, that we eventually do stop doing what our grandfathers and fathers did. This idea that we've got to go out there and plow it up. I don't think it goes away completely. I'll give you an example. 
I just walked the home farm where I was raised two mornings ago. I was back in Indiana. I was walking on my home farm because I have changed operators and it was completely covered with manure and then tilled for a couple of reasons. We did have some compaction issues. It did need to be worked in because we put manure on it. We were trying to fix some, uh, some fertility issues and also it was completely unlevel. Also, it hadn't been tilled in probably a decade. I don't know if you're going to kill yourself tilling once every 10 years. Your thoughts? Uh, well, that, that, okay, the university answer is it depends. Because if you do have compaction and it's restricting water from going down or roots from growing through the soil, it needs to be taken care of. But then your management needs to change because you'll just recompact the soil. The more tillage that you do, the more you break apart the, apart the soil structure. Soil structure, those little uh, like peds of soil, those little, <laughs> how would you want to explain them that it would be farmer friendly? Like if you pull up a root and you see those little clumps of soil, that's your structure. And those are the, your number one defense against soil compaction. They physically hold up the weight of your equipment. The more tillage that you do, the more you break those apart and your soil kind of falls in on itself. So when you do tillage, not only are you introducing air into the soil, which helps it warm up, you're also breaking apart the structure. So what's the load bearing capacity of air? How much, how much weight can air hold? How much weight can air hold? Almost none, right? Right, right. It's not a trick question, it's real. <laughs> yeah, okay. So you're saying, so when you take, when you take anything more than, uh, heavier than uh, a guy walking across the field, you're going to squish out the air, right? Well, no, what I'm saying is that the more tillage you do and you break down the natural structure that helps hold up the weight of equipment and you add in air instead, because that's what tillage does, um, you set yourself up for compaction. So the deeper that you till, the more often that you till, the more structure you break up the more you're going to sink into that soil. Ah, I understand. What's going to be, okay, so you're, see, we got people listening right now saying, oh, well, Jody and Damien can carry on all they want, but I'm still going out there and tilling because it makes my ground warm up more in April, so I go out and plant corn. Truth? Um, it's not how much residue you have out there that cools off your soil or makes it wetter. It's where it's placed. And so, and also the kind of residue and whether you're on a slope and what's your rotation. Again, the university answer, it depends. Okay. Uh, what we did is we have uh, four fields. Well, I've had fields since uh, 2003, but lately we have these four fields uh, near Fergus Falls, Minnesota and over by Wapiti, North Dakota. And we're using four different tillage systems. They range in anywhere from 20% residue up to probably 55, 60% residue. And we're finding that if you do like strip till where you clean a row, have, do your listeners know about strip till? Give us a quick, quick and dirty okay. uh, tutorial. What is strip till? It's where you have, you only till in a 10 inch area and that's where you plant back into. So you cut the residue, push it to the side. There's a shank that puts down nutrients and berming discs that bring that soil back together so that you have, it looks like a mini ridge till. And so in that berm, you have less than 20% residue, and between the berms, you have all residue. So you have like a no-till, conventional till system. And you Working right beside each other on 10-inch strips. Right, right. So you're not tilling 20, uh, 
two thirds of the soil. And, and that's been a great benefit. So what we're finding underneath the, the berm where it's all cleared off, it's warming up like a and disc ripping. And underneath the berm or underneath all the residue, it's not as cold as, as no-till. So it's still warming up under there because that air is coming from the berm and going underneath you know, and spreading out to underneath the residue. Uh, so it's as dry and as warm as conventional tillage in the berm. And then underneath, you get to capture all that moisture for later when your plant needs it. All right, so you and I both can agree that I think there's too much tillage. You think there's too much tillage. We've got listeners that still aren't sold because they say, well, it works for me. And you say, well, all right, but let's talk about what's going to change it. Legislation, education, or economics, meaning what's going to change the state of too much tillage? Legislation, because I just worked in Canada at the beginning of this month. And do you know that in Alberta, there are programs you can right now voluntarily sign up for where it's all about carbon sequestration. It's about how many times you're going to cross the soil, about how deep you till. Essentially, I see this eventually being something that we don't have a lot of choice on. We will be restricted or controlled or incentivized heavily by NRCS on how and what we do with our tillage. Your thoughts? Um, I agree. What I would like to see is the carrot first, and they are trying with, you know, equip programs and things like that. But the time that I get the most calls about reducing tillage is when we have the harder economic times. The time that I see the moldboard plow pulling out is when people want to plant corn on corn because the price of corn is really high. And that's when we sell the most moldboard plows. So when the economics get bad, they call me and say, how do I do less passes? How do I use less fuel and still keep my yields? And that's how I think we get them in. And yeah, so it, it is economics. I mean, let's face it, yeah. which is, I, I say the bigger part is we should really continue to understand this, that, you know, ground around me is selling for $8,000 an acre. Uh, up where you are, I'm sure it's about that also, maybe more. Well, if I am spending $8,000 for an acre of land, I'm sure as heck going to protect it and try and keep it from blowing away, washing away, tillage erosion, erosioning away. Uh, I think it is the economics. Yes, and, and also because we haven't had the snow cover that we've had usually. You know, Minnesota's known for snow. Um, the last three summer, uh, winters have been very bare and we've been watching our soil blow away because it, a clay particle is actually microscopic. And so the wind can pick it up very easily. And if it's not covered with cover crops or residue or snow, it's going to blow because in Western Minnesota, it blows a lot. Um, yes, it does. Brings me to my next thing. We all know it's about money. All right. We know why people want to till they think they're going to make more money. You said moldboard plows. I, I don't think there's been one of those sold in my part of Indiana for the last 20 years, but they're still currently using them somewhere where you are, for instance. Well, yes. Let's talk about well, really quick because people say, why do you keep talking about moldboard plow? And I was talking with Salford, and they sold 60 moldboard plows last year in southern Minnesota alone. So, and, and John Deere has had some wonderful moldboard plow sales, too. So, so somebody's still using those, those old things. Let's yes. talk about money. Money. Degradation of the asset. All right. Give me some examples. What do you see where people have either degraded their asset because of mismanagement of the soil or they've done a lot to improve the asset? Give me one example of each in your field work. 
Uh, explain to. Have you seen somebody that took property and you say, good God, over the last 10 years, they've made this worth less because of their practices? Oh, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I had a gentleman that I went to his field that was moldboard plow, and he, he very much felt like his field was still fine because it still had black soil. And when I went out there, even before I got out of the car, I could tell that <laughs> the structure was gone and it could blow away and wash away very, very easily. And the more you do that, especially if you're on a slope, um, some of the data out of ARS and Morris said that they were losing, moving 27 tons of soil per acre per year downhill on highly erodible land using a moldboard plow. Think about that. When I, I remember that we can tolerate a certain amount of soil erosion because we are making new soil, but it's only a couple tons per acre that we can lose at most in most situations. Am I not right? Um, the NRCS says five ton an acre, and that's about a dime's width. And we will not make that up. We just can't make that up in our lifetime. Now, if you have stock standing out there, in a way, you're trapping your neighbor's soil. So, yeah, that's, that's true. So the yeah. point is, you think NRCS says five tons is tolerable. You say it's not even five tons. You're saying it's less than it, it, less than that. I, but they're trying to work with as many farmers as they can. Okay. Um, so really, we might be able to justify losing a ton or two of soil per acre. And you got one guy that's losing 27 tons. And he thought, give me that example again, because he saw a black, rich looking topsoil, everything's fine. But you said he had structure, but also he might be down, he might have lost four inches and be to more, more black soil, but it's four inches down. Right. And it's never, you don't lose it evenly across the field. And since he's on highly erodible land, he saw like the, the clay knolls starting to get larger on the satellite photos. And so he started working with ARS, which I give him a lot of credit for that's when they started calculating what he was losing. So yes, that was shown um, more plowing, definitely. A couple of things that landowners, because I got owners of land that are listening to this right now, and they say, ah, she's talking about Minnesota, or he's from Indiana. But you know, we, we you've, you went to college in Colorado, I get around North America, so let's make this for everybody. Because again, no matter where you are, if you're in the business of agriculture, you own soil, it's your most valuable asset. It's where most farm people's bulk of their net worth is, is in their land holdings. Mm -hmm. A couple of things that owners of land could do or should know from you. Well, the darker your soil, the more organic matter it has. So in Minnesota and Iowa, where we have very black soils, it will take a while to increase the amount of organic matter and in, improve the soils. What I'm trying for in our area is just maintain what we have. Now in Colorado and other places where you see tan soil or red soil, you have very low organic matter and making changes in your practices actually uh, result in, or have results very quickly. Uh, if you can improve your organic matter 1%, you can hold another 27,000 gallons of water in an acre. And that is very needed in July and August. I, I want to say it again, because this is a big initiative for me. I'm changing my situation. Mine's going to be in cover crop that will then have alfalfa, and it will also get manure. We want to bring up the organic matter on my farm because mm -hmm. of what you just said. 1% bump in organic matter in your soil equates to 27,000 gallons of water holding capacity per acre. Think of that when you are out there going, boy, it's dry as dust here in August. We could use right. a little rain. Uh, 
recommendation. So again, they could boost organic matter and they do that through practices, through cover crops. They do that if they can get their hands on manure, uh, buy yeah. chicken litter, what else can they do? Um, if reduce the tillage, reduce the amount of passes. You don't need them all. Um, reduce the depth that you're going. You don't need 10 to 12 inches. Stay around six. Um, if you see that your soil is cracking in the summer, that's doing deep tillage for you. So you don't need to do it. You know, it, and also the least aggressive. So like when you're looking at a disc, what do you see on the side of the road every time you see a new road being built? A disc. Mm -hmm. The reason yeah. why is it kills the structure and it makes a really good road bed. It, all these little fine particles, but you don't want that out in your field. You're at least the 100th agronomist that I have heard speak who said, you ever notice when they start making a road, what do they do? They bring in an offset disc. And why is it that we think making a road and making a field for crop production should be treated the same way? Absolutely great example. You're there's, another, there's another thing that I kind of just figured out from guys. They, they talk about tillage and the way that it makes it very consistent. You know, for, so for that depth that they're tilling, they have this even consistency. And that's not what a plant wants. It actually wants the large pore spaces and small pore spaces. The large pore spaces help that water go down really quick and it helps the roots go through and the small pore spaces hold on to water for later on and also have a whole different community of microbes in it. And so we, I think we were in the mindset that, you know, well, black, if your soil was black, you were a good farmer. And if you had that trash sitting out there, you were not a good farmer. And we're seeing, that that's not true anymore. Yeah, there was the old thing that uh, a field had to have nothing. It had to have no debris. And then, uh, by the yeah. way, if your if your soil is black, it really means you just inherited well or bought the right property. It doesn't <laughs> mean that you are good anything. You're a smart lady. I'm talking to Jody DeYoung Hughes. She is a regional educator in crops and soils for the University of Minnesota Extension. She's got a master's in agronomy. We talk about soil all this podcast because it's agriculture's most valuable asset. One lesson, one takeaway, one thing you want to leave our listeners with, Jody, anything about the business of agriculture. Oh my goodness. There's so many more than just one line. But All right, well then give me two. <laughs> Something you want everybody to take away from today. I, I want you to go look at new ways. I want you to look at each field differently, whether it's sand or clay, a, a flat field or a slope, they could use different um, management. And so it would be, go find that information. There's so many things online. You could go to our website too at the University of Minnesota and we have a huge uh, soil health page. And you know, just go out there and look, talk to your neighbors, the ones you trust. There you go, Jody DeYoung Hughes. She will come back again someday when we decide to have a revisit on the subject of soils. You have been listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast. I'm Damian Mason. We do this every week. I appreciate you joining in. We'll keep it interesting for you. Thank you for joining. Till next time, I'm Dan Mason, and thank you for being a part of the Business of Agriculture with my friend Jody DeYoung-Hughes. Thanks. See you.